Greetings and welcome to Understanding Christianity. I'm your host. I'm Pastor Sean Cole. I'm the lead pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. I also serve as an adjunct instructor at Colorado Christian University. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. It's been a while since I've come in and done a standalone podcast, and there's been a lot that's been going on in the life of our church and also in my own life as well. But I wanted to give you an update on the G3 conference. My um, associate pastor Dustin and I had a great time out in Atlanta at the G3 conference, heard a lot of great preaching, got to make some great connections. Um, I did have a book signing for my book, 40 Days in Philippians, Finding Joy in Jesus. So just a shout out, if you haven't had a chance to pick up that book yet, you can go to the G3 website and purchase the book there. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to have written that. I'm also thankful for G3 Press and their publishing that it was a wonderful time I encourage you to go and watch all of the the sermons and panel discussions that were there you can also get the g3 plus app they introduced a new app where you can get all of the g3 content in an app there is a subscription fee for that but I would encourage you to go subscribe to the g3 plus app and get all of that great material I wanted to address the issue with The recent sermon that Andy Stanley at North Point Church in Georgia came out with this past week where basically he affirms in a roundabout way homosexual desire, same-sex desire, and is basically changing the trajectory of what the Bible teaches on this particular topic. And others have had a lot more in-depth analysis. I'd encourage you to go to John Harris, Conversations That Matter, his YouTube channel. He has a great interaction with it. Obviously, James White at Alpha and Omega Ministries has a good interaction with that. But what I want to do is I want to just play a brief clip by Andy Stanley, and I'm not going to so much address the issue of homosexual or same-sex attraction. What I want to do is back it all the way up and say that, here's my argument. If you deny total depravity and by extension, total inability, you can then affirm what Andy Stanley affirms, that basically same-sex attractions are basically what you're born with, you have no control over them, and basically I want you to hear what he says in this clip. And let me set it up a little bit. He's talking about how he has experienced a lot of friends and, and people that he knows, especially gay men, that have struggled with same-sex desires and have asked the Lord to take that desire away. He talked about how their middle school youth group had a lot of kids that were uh, coming out to their adult leaders and their small groups about these same-sex attractions. And so his church is this safe place where people can talk about these types of things. But I want you to listen to what he says here in this brief clip and see if you catch it. And I, I want to unpack theology that he denies behind and why it's so important to affirm total depravity. So let's listen to this brief clip by the sermon from Andy Stanley. In my experience, I've talked to many, 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 many gay men in particular. And I would say they don't just ask God to take it away. They beg God to take it away. They weep and ask God to take it away. They're afraid of disappointing their parents. Depending on the church that they attend, they are literally afraid they are going to hell. Not because of anything they've done, 
but because of who they are. Because of the message, not of culture, the message of the church. Okay, I want you to notice very carefully what he says there at the end. You don't go to hell for something you're born with. You go to hell for something that you do. In other words, if I have these same-sex attractions or I have these inordinate desires, those desires aren't going to send me to hell only if I act out on those desires. Now, the problem with that is that we are judged, we are guilty, we go to hell, not only for the outward actions that we commit, but because of the nature with which we are born. We are born totally depraved. We are born spiritually dead. We are born with desires, with lusts, and those in and of themselves, just because of the nature we're born that nature is enough to send us to hell because we are depraved to the core and we stand condemned before a holy God even before we ever commit an actual act now obviously Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about adultery you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery but I say to you if anyone has lust in his heart he's already committed adultery so Jesus equates the lust of the heart with the actual breaking of God's command in the Ten Commandments to not commit adultery. So here's the issue. All believers, or not believers, all people are born with a sin nature that causes us to have lustful desires, covetous desires, some have inordinate or ungodly desires in same-sex attraction. And all of those desires, whether they're ever acted out upon, render us guilty and deserving of hell. And so what Andy Stanley's saying is, is that you only would go to hell, and I don't even know if he believes that, but he, basically his argument is you would only go to hell, or the church teaches that you're going to go to hell if you have these desires, but you won't go to hell unless you act out on those desires. So what sends you to hell, what makes you condemnable, what makes you condemned or guilty before God is the outward action, not the inward desire. So I just want to briefly address this issue and talk about how total depravity defines the fact that we are dead in our sins and our desires, our very nature, renders us guilty before a holy God. The Bible often uses analogies or descriptions from the natural world to convey spiritual truths. For example, in Jeremiah 13, 23, we read these words. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. Okay, let's think about this for a moment. Can, can an Ethiopian wake up one day and change the scolor, color of his skin? No, he can't because the pigmentation is inherent to who he is. He can't change something that's fundamental to his nature, like the color of his skin. Can a leopard wake up one day and have stripes like a tiger instead of spots? No, he can't because that's part of his nature. So Jeremiah makes an analogy by basically saying, 
A person with dark pigmentation cannot change the color of their skin because it's theirs by nature. They're born with it. An animal like a leopard can't change its spots because by nature, that's what it's born with. And then he makes the spiritual application. Can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil? So what's the logical inference or the logical conclusion? The logical conclusion is that moral evil, spiritual condition, humans cannot do anything good because it's our nature to do evil from birth. In other words, we can't change the sinful nature that we're born with. And that sinful nature causes us to be guilty condemns us before a holy God, and that nature is what leads us to act out on actual sins. So let me say it this way. Let me state it very succinctly, because here's a question we often run into when we talk about our interactions with provisionists and their understanding of total depravity and inherited guilt and, and Adam's original sin and all those issues related to sin. There are three things that make us condemned before a holy God. One is original sin that we are born with, that we have inherited from Adam. It is the nature that we're born with, and that nature renders us guilty. Number two, we've inherited guilt from Adam. His sin in the garden is our sin because he was our federal head, and by imputation of Adam's sin to us, we are guilty not only for our sins, but we're guilty for Adam's sin. So, number one, we've inherited a depraved nature. Number two, we've inherited guilt. And number three, we actually are condemned for the actual sins we commit in the body. So, it's a wrapped up package. But oftentimes, what these people are doing is they're only focusing on the outward actions. It's only a sin if you act out on it. It's only a sin if it's manifested outwardly. So it's only a sin if you actually physically commit adultery with another person. If you think about it, if you lust after that person, if you have a desire for that person that's ungodly, that in and of itself is not a sin because you didn't act down on it. Jesus flat out contradicts that. And so when you take it into the issue of same-sex attraction or homosexual desire, those desires are inordinate. They are ungodly. They are unnatural. They are sinful. And this is the whole argument that's going on right now is basically people are saying, like Andy Stanley, that these guys are praying for that desire to go away. They're born this way. They really can't help it. They're not guilty for it. They don't need to repent of it. It's just basically who they are. It's how God made them. But that's not the case. They are guilty for those desires just as much as a heterosexual man is guilty for lustful desires against another woman. It's as if we've created a special category for the homosexual that we don't give to any other category of sin. So let's give a scenario here. Let's say that two young men come into my office. The first guy is married. He's 25 years old. He's been married for a few years. He comes into my office and he says, Pastor Sean, I'm really struggling. Um, I know that uh, my wife is, is good to me and we, we have a good relationship, but man, I, there's this lady at work that I am just struggling with because she dresses provocatively, she's made some come-ons to me, and I'm, I'm lusting in my heart after this woman. And, and I, I have these desires for her that go 
basically to a bad place. And so I am struggling with lust with this woman who's not my wife. Now, what would I say to him? Well, you know, those desires are basically who God made you. And basically, you know, you just need to pray for those desires to go away. And, you know, uh, why don't you go join a community called the adultery community where you can learn to live out your adulterous desires. And there's really nothing wrong because as long as you don't act out on those desires, those desires are okay. Now, that doesn't make any sense at all. And so the next guy comes into my office This is a young man, same age, 25, not married, but he's struggling with same-sex attraction. He's struggling with homosexual desires. Basically, what a lot of evangelicals would tell him would be the exact opposite of what you'd tell the heterosexual man struggling with lust for a woman that's not his wife. He'd say, well, God just made you that way, and and, and, as long as you don't act out on those desires, as long as you don't engage in the homosexual behavior, you're okay. The desires are okay. You don't really need to repent of those desires. Maybe you need to join a homosexual community where you can learn to um, kind of think about those desires, celebrate those desires, but as long as you're celibate and you never act out upon them, you're okay. In both cases, the answer should be the same. Now, for the, for the adulterous man that's struggling with adultery, that is a sinful desire. For the young man who's struggling with homosexual same-sex attraction, that is a sinful desire. Both are sinful desires. Now, one is more of a natural desire, even though it's sinful. The heterosexual man for another woman, that's still sinful, but it's natural because there is a natural desire for, that God has put in men to, to want to have a relationship with women. There's nothing wrong with that desire until it turns to lust, until it becomes a sinful desire. The homosexual desire is what we call an inordinate desire. It's an ungodly desire. It's an unnatural desire. But both of those desires, they're, they're lusts of the flesh desiring something that is, goes against God's law. And so we would never tell the married man that as long as he lusts after that woman at his job and doesn't act out on it, he's okay because that's how God made him. We would never say that to him. But somehow we automatically think that there's a different category of sin when we deal with a person struggling with same-sex desires, and we basically get them off the hook and say, well, as long as you don't act out on it, that desire is okay. There's nothing wrong with the desire. It's inconsistent, and it's not biblical. Let's think about another analogy from nature in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus teaches in Matthew 7, 17 through 18. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Now, what's Jesus saying about these two trees? One is a diseased tree. One is a good tree. The diseased tree can't bear good fruit, and the good tree can't bear diseased fruit. So what's he talking about? This is a spiritual application. So what Jesus is saying is fundamentally... A diseased tree cannot produce anything positive or rise above its essential nature of corruption. In the same way, those who are spiritually diseased through total depravity, through the corruption of sin, cannot produce anything positive that would result in the good fruit of repentance and faith in Christ. So what must happen? The fundamental nature of the tree must change. The tree must change from being a diseased tree to a healthy tree. Now, how can it do that? Can a tree do this itself? 
Well, non-reformed people would say that just because sinners are spiritually diseased doesn't mean that they can't admit that they're infected. They can't cry out for salvation. Yet what are unsaved people doing by acknowledging that they are diseased? They're basically saying, I can't change my fundamental nature. It's who I am. I am a diseased tree. I can't change and bear good fruit. Something has to happen to me. So admitting you can't change is not the same as undergoing an actual radical change. Merely admitting you're a sinner does not change your nature so that you can produce good fruit. Something outside of you needs to come in and overcome the disease and transform you from the inside out. And Obviously, we call this regeneration. Once the Holy Spirit effectually calls sinners to faith, grants them new life, the renewed will that was once in bondage can then produce the good fruit. The born-again person can now repent and believe because his or her fundamental nature has been changed by God to do so. The Holy Spirit transforms the sinner into a healthy tree first, and then subsequently, that person, because they've been renewed, produces the good fruit of repentance and faith. And so, total depravity means that we are depraved to the core of our being. I like what R.C. Sproul calls it. He calls it radical corruption. The word radical comes from Latin, the Latin word radix or radix, and that means root. Radical really means to go to the root. So what total depravity means is that at the root, at the core of our being, our mind, our will, our emotions, our affections, our desires, everything about us to its core is radically corrupted because of what Adam did in the garden when he fell. We've inherited that corruption. We've inherited that guilt. And so every single person is born under God's wrath. And so you go down to Ephesians chapter 2, and Paul says, In verses 1 through 3, you were dead in the trespasses and sins you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, I've dealt with this passage of Scripture many times on this podcast, but let's just look at that last phrase. By nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We deserve nothing but God's righteous anger against our sin and to be punished forever in hell. And is it because of something we've done here? Well, yes, we walked according to the flesh. We, we are under the power of Satan. We are following the ways of the world, but that comes because of spiritual deadness. But Paul wraps it all up and says, here's the real issue of why you're guilty. It's because... You are a child of wrath. Now, Paul doesn't say we were merely children of wrath. That could be a state that we choose to get into on our own and choose to get out of on our own. So, for example, a Pelagian who denies original sin, a Pelagian who believes we're a blank slate, could agree that a person does deserve God's wrath, that you are a child of wrath. But they would say, you make choices to sin, you imitate what Adam did, and once you make that choice to sin, then you live with the consequences of that sin, and then you become a child of wrath based upon your choice. But that's not what Paul says. Paul does not say you're a child of wrath based upon your choice. He says it's by nature, by nature. That's our fallen nature 
that we're born with. And the only other place where this rare Greek word is used is in Galatians 2.15, where Paul says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. In the Galatians passage, he uses that same Greek word to say by birth. In Ephesians, he says by nature. So here's Paul's argument. By our very nature as a human being, by our very birth that we've inherited original sin from Adam, inherited that guilt, by our very nature of being born a sinner, we are a child deserving God's wrath. Not because of a decision that we made, not because of an outward action that we did. Yes and amen, those do deserve God's wrath. But the reason coming behind that, coming before that, that we deserve God's wrath is because it is in our nature. We are born under God's wrath. Not because of any choice that we would eventually make that would be sinful, but because it's in our very nature and it's because of what we are born with. We are born sinful to the core. And those desires that flow from that sinful nature, even before they're acted upon, are worthy of God's wrath and condemnation. So to counter what Andy Stanley said, you do go to hell for your nature, and you do go to hell on something that you've acted upon. So when he tells someone who's struggling with same-sex attraction that you're not under God's wrath or you won't go to hell until you act out upon it, he's denying total depravity that our very nature is what deserves wrath. And this is not just for the homosexual. This is for all people. Every single person is born by nature under God's wrath, with original sin, with lust of the flesh, with a coveting heart, spiritually dead, and every single person deserves God's wrath. Not just the homosexual, but the heterosexual, everyone. Regardless of whether you ever act out upon those desires or not, the desires in and of themselves render you Hellbound. So I could say to a man who's covetous or to a heterosexual man who's lustful, even if you never act out on that lust, the lust itself is deserving of hell. Even if you never steal outwardly, but you have coveting in your heart, that coveting deserves hell. Even if you never act out on that homosexual desire, the desire itself is deserving of hell. We've got to be consistent all the way through. The Bible makes no distinction between heterosexual sin, homosexual sin, homosexual desire, heterosexual desire. And what's happening in our current culture, evangelical culture, is we're making a carve out. We're making a special category for the homosexual that is not reserved for any other sin. So here's an exercise. Take any other sin that the Bible talks about and replace it with homosexuality or, or put it in the place and make the same arguments they're making now. So for example, use the sin of racism, use the sin of pedophilia, use the sin of adultery or lust. Any of those sins, we would never tell a person just that, you, that those desires are okay as long as you don't act out upon it. 
It's okay to have racist desires as long as you don't act out and go lynch somebody or go you know, you know, do something racist. And it's okay to have a coveting heart as long as you don't steal. It's okay to be angry in your heart to want to go murder somebody as long as you don't murder them. It's okay to lust after another woman that's not your wife as long as you don't act out on it. We would never say that for other sins, but it seems like when it comes to homosexual, we'd say, as long as you don't act out on it, the desire's okay. It's not consistent, it's not biblical, and it's fundamentally a denial of total depravity. And so everybody starts at the same place. All humans are born under God's wrath. And the only answer is regeneration. When the Holy Spirit comes and regenerates the dead, spiritually dead heart, He takes out that heart of stone and gives a heart of flesh and causes us to walk in God's ways. And so the only way that anybody can be freed of ungodly desires, original sin, total depravity, is through sovereign regeneration where the Holy Spirit comes in and makes us a new creation in Christ. And so if we are a new creation in Christ, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, that's what some of you were. You were these things, but now you've been sanctified, you've been justified, you've been, you've been washed, you've been set apart. And so we have been raised to newness of life to walk in newness of life. Doesn't mean we don't ever struggle with those desires anymore. It doesn't mean that we won't have lust in our hearts. It just means that the Holy Spirit in us can give us the grace to overcome them and to walk in holiness empowered by the Holy Spirit to keep those desires under control. And so hopefully this has been helpful to see, just maybe from a different angle than what other people are saying, that that one sentence by Andy Stanley says everything about his understanding of anthropology. His understanding of the homosexual issue is fundamentally a denial of the human nature. Not just the homosexual, but all humans, because it's a denial of total depravity and that we are by nature children of wrath and the nature is what actually condemns us and we deserve hell even before we ever act out upon it. So I pray that you are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you're praying for His grace to give you self-control, that you are abiding by His law. As First John says, His law is not burdensome, His command's not burdensome because the Holy Spirit works in us to will and to do what pleases God according to Philippians 2.13. And so as we think about these issues, it's vital that we understand total depravity, we understand the role of the Holy Spirit, we understand the role of God's law, and only the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer to all of these fundamental problems. And so till next time, let us all keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Jesus.